Tom, if there is one thing I know about you, it's that you are a real wine and diner, an epicurean, a gourmand, a gastronome of the highest order. Oh, you have got me nailed. Just yesterday, I spilled my lobster into my other lobster. <laughs> did you uh, did you do anything to let your inner foodie shine this, this fine New Year? Oh, in the New Year's? I w- recently tried Himalayan food. Well, I know nothing about Himalayan food, apart from the fact that their salt is pink. That's true. How did you know that? We're big Himalayan salt people around these parts. <laughs> oh, yes, really? That sounds so weird. I'm not lying to you. I have this giant bag of Himalayan sea salt. It's pink. <laughs> it's for our salt grinder. I have a salt grinder, huh. by the way. We, so, okay. You know you yeah. can just buy regular salt at the store, right? <laughs> It's not, come on, shut up. Finish okay. telling me your story. Uh, Himalayan, and I had yak chili. You did not. Are you making that up? No, I'm 100%. But I don't know if, it, I never asked, is this really yak? Or are you spelling the word beef in a Himalayan <laughs> way? I don't know. But yeah, I had yak chili, and it was very good. Wow, yak chili. Did you feel a little bit, uh, this is not at all what I wanted to talk about, but did you oh. feel a little guilty about eating yak chili? Because that's no, not a normal thing. I think they've, yaks have had it good eat. for a long time. <laughs> I think it's time we take him down a peg. Hey, yes. Okay. Yeah. So uh, for New Year's Eve, I went out to uh, Jake's famous crawfish with oh. my uh, wife and and another couple uh, dear um, dear friends. We've been doing this since I can't believe I'm saying this since the turn of the century. Ooh. And uh, <laughs> I I don't know. You can tell me if you notice the same, but we noticed something strange. Uh, this place is a super popular joint here in Portland. It's one of those okay. really like nice Portland restaurants, right? And uh, particularly for New Year's, like it's just gangbusters for New Year's. And it's every year. It's just, it's amazing. And so it's downtown, great location. I had my usual pile of crab uh, with a, a nice bottle of wine. And for dessert, a bag of chocolate. Uh, it's a, a chocolate like paper bag, but it's in the shape of a paper bag, but it's actually dark chocolate, and it's full what? of white chocolate mousse and whipped cream and berries uh, and things. Yeah, it's so amazing. Decadent. Yeah, it was super. It's just, you just, it's amazing. Super wrong. We only do it once a year. And then it's it amazing. hit us. Yeah. The place was, like, empty. I mean, not empty. The, all the tables were full. The restaurant, it was just wasn't crowded. And oh. it's usually shoulder to shoulder. Did you have this experience at Yaks R Us? Uh, <laughs> Wait, what was your place called? Jake's Famous Crawfish. Crawfish. Well, crawfish are the yaks of the sea. <laughs> that is a clear fact. Um, it, it was just sort of basically full. Like, not really. No. Well, and you probably don't eat there every year, so you don't really have a sense of trends. Never been. Correct. All Good right. point. All right. Well, here's the thing. This is the trouble. And I, this only hit me after we hit the restaurant as these headlines start hitting my feeds, my anxiety feeds. Oh, oh right. Uh, that analysts predict people will ditch restaurants and retreat into their homes in 2020 as the election looms and anxiety <laughs> builds. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> because right. Because we just want to avoid other people? Exactly right. Restaurant analysts uh, uh, say that, uh, as we saw the last time around in 2016, we believe that these sorts of events, these anxiety-inducing events, uh, present a significant distraction from restaurant visits. Quote, a distraction from restaurant visits. I didn't even know I was I was attending yeah. restaurant visits, let alone <laughs> had enough attention to them to be distracted by them. I'm hoping to go out to a nice restaurant visit this week. <laughs> 
That's how normal people talk. (laughs) Exactly. Which has negative implications for most of the casual dining, given their dependence on in-restaurant sales. Additionally, we expect elevated media inflation this year from the presidential election as candidates battle for voter attention on national television. This this, uh, analyst says that traffic will be negative impacted by, speaking of the way people talk in real life, he says impacted by an additional 100 to 150 basis points as people opt for their couch versus a restaurant dining room. Now, Tom, what do you know what he means by 100 to 150 basis points? You're a real smarty. Not at all. No, I'm glad that you're basis. No, what does it yeah. mean? Yeah, that's one hundredth of one percent. One basis point is one hundredth. Of- <laughs> he couldn't just say, what? I'm going to move the decimal point for you people. Yeah. One to one point five percent drop is what we're anticipating. This, one to one point. Yeah. What was the point of the study? Exactly. Anyway. <laughs> and it's like plus or minus 5%. <laughs> he then links to an anxi- and another anxiety-ridden uh, death knell for restaurants. And it is actually called The Death of the American Dream Transforms the Restaurant Industry. Mm. And really talking about the legitimate, not in terms of basis points, but the hundreds and hundreds of restaurants that are closing as people are opting for their living rooms instead yeah. of uh, going out to restaurants, restaurants like Chili's and Applebee's and Outback Steakhouse and Carrabba's. And, uh, they're all Oh, yeah, they uh, are all closing. Suffering. Yeah, they're closing down. And what are they doing? They're doing things like uh, kitchenless locations these, right. or, or ghost kitchens is what they're calling them, yep. uh, where they have these uh, delivery only locations in partnership with Kitchen United and DoorDash and, and all of the, the del- Uber Eats, the delivery services. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're saying that th- this trend, people the way who to are, go? they fear the outdoors. They don't want to go deal with the anxious environment of restaurants that the the signal to noise <laughs> is too low. And so going out, he says, is more precious than it ever was. It is not a disappointment. It's a great loss. People get angry and sad about loss. Oh, my God. Fascinating. Yeah. That is fascinating. And I didn't realize that I was such a hero for eating yak chili <laughs> out and about. In a restaurant, yes. I didn't get my yak chili to go. Uh-uh. I just sat on the floor and ate it right there. You're a real bon vivant. <laughs> you got my attention, baby. I can't make a move. Like a child, a star for love. Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Tommy Metz III. And I'm Pete Wright. And every single week, we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out to us, you guys. There's still time. Send us the story of your anxieties to something stinky at what's that smell.net. Sorry, it's something stinky at what's that smell.net. <laughs> Reach out to us and you can get on the show. And do you have anything to say about merch, Pete? Yeah, you should go get some at uh, what's that smell.net slash merch. Oh, I wasn't ready. <laughs> you finished that <laughs> quick. I was still drinking a diet Dr. Pepper. Okay. And with that, I will go first. Many, many, many years ago, 
I went to a comedy sketch show in Manhattan Beach, California, to support a friend of a friend of a friend of mine. Did you actually know them? No, I didn't know them at all, but I knew the friend of the friend. So about six of us went, and I was sitting next to a longtime friend whom, for this story, I will call Chrissy. Now, the show was starring a lot of sketch and improv amateurs, and it started going off the rails immediately. Uh, lines were flubbed. It was really kind of unfunny. They didn't know how to pace their jokes. The whole thing was un- sort of an unfortunate misfire. And then ugh, there was the fart sketch, Pete. I'm mm. not a fan of scatological humor, uh, but I don't know who would have enjoyed this sketch. It mainly consisted of a husband and wife taking turns complaining about the other one's farts while in bed together. Oh, dear. And it's going on and on. It's dreadful. But here's where my friend Chrissy comes in. For as long as I've ever known him, he always laughs uncontrollably when things or performers are bombing on stage when he's watching. He's not guffawing, but instead sort of giggling uncontrollably and trying to cover it up. And it's not out of malice. He's not doing it to be mean. It's just that I think he gets so uncomfortable that he laughs (laughs) as some sort of defense mechanism. And so the sketch is going poorly, and the worse it gets, the more Chrissy is laughing. And then something magical happens. The performers can hear the laughter, and believing that the laughter is genuine, they begin to time their delivery based on his laughter. (laughs) So they get even bigger and louder because they think they're doing great, which makes Chrissy laugh all the harder, which is now making me laugh, and now we're all laughing at Chrissy while the performers think we're laughing with them. And now they're really making a meal of it, Pete. Just yelling about each other's farts and like doing takes to the audience, like saying, Will your farts smell terrible, huh? And doing like a big, like, what am I going to do to the audience? And they're drinking in the laughs. And then the husband brings out a gas mask and they both freeze like it's the best ending in the world. And Chrissy almost had a heart attack from giggling so hard. Now, what is the point? This is the comedy snake. Like eating its own tail. Yes, it really was the Ouroboros of fart sketches. Now, what is the point of this story, Pete? I was so glad to have Chrissy there, and so were the performers who legitimately thought they were succeeding, because before he started giggling, I was crawling out of my skin with anxiety and uncomfortability. Uncomfortability? Is that a word? I think discomfort already covers it. Discomfortability. Perfect. (laughs) Why? (laughs) Because you know what schadenfreude is. That's a German term of taking pleasure in someone else's pain. Yeah. I'm sort of the opposite of that. I take pain from other people's pain, particularly during performances. Yeah, you're human is what we call that. I am human, but I feel like there is a lot of interest from most people in seeing these kind of things. If you go on YouTube, I'll talk about YouTube in a second, but if you go on YouTube and look up comedian bombing or singer making a mistake, they are legion. There's obviously a huge appetite for this. But when I see a stand-up comedian bombing or a singer forgetting the words to a song or something, I feel so uncomfortable, it's almost unbearable. So, I'm not really talking about performance anxiety, which is pretty well-trod territory. This week, I would just like to talk briefly about the anxiety of watching someone else blow it. (laughs) So, I... As an audience member. As an audience member, It's not performance anxiety, it's audience anxiety. It's audience anxiety when someone else is suffering from performance anxiety. I want to really (laughs) make this as difficult to follow as possible. I couldn't find a word for this anxiety. It's very hard to figure out or even search for. So I'm going to say Freudenschada. (laughs) Can we just switch? (laughs) Schadenfreude, Freudenschada. (laughs) So Pete, you said, well, it's because you're a human. So you've been a performer for a lot of your life. Obviously, this must affect you. Does it affect you in the same kind of way? 
Yeah. Oh, I hate it. Um, but I don't know that I've ever thought about it. Yeah. Um, you know, to that degree. And so as you're talking about it, I'm having these flashes of performances like coming back. Like I'm, I'm seeing my entire life as an audience member. As an audience member. Okay. Yeah. Of all the shows that I've seen, like what were the worst? And was I able to, to, you know, handle it? Yeah. And, and generally I, I'll stop making any sort of <laughs> eye contact with the stage. Yes. You know, I'll start like devouring the program in the dark. Like, <laughs> Isn't I this can't fascinating? See. Right. <laughs> anyway, like I'm scr- struggling to find my glasses so that I can read black print in the dark. Like, and that's yeah. kind of where my head goes. I turtle. I completely turtle. You saying that is perfect because that's exactly what I do. I feel like I want to crawl under my seat. Yeah, and it's, I it's also five year old kind of response, right? It's the the hear no evil, see no evil, like peekaboo response to interesting uh, to un- discomfort, uh, yeah. which is like if if I'm not looking at them, they don't exist, and neither do I. Like we're it's, just gonna not have a relationship because at, I brought up YouTube. I did watch some compilations of comedians bombing on stage, and number one, that was even hard. I'm not in the yeah. room, yeah. but I was. It's so hard. But then whenever they would flash to the audience, you see people always averting their eyes. That is the classic thing to sort of deal with the situation. And I'm interested in, I I like your idea of that it's just sort of, I can make this go away if I look away. But I wonder if there's more to it. Part of this also comes from the fact that I am a performer. And so uh, it there must be uh, empathy involved with, I know what it's like to train wreck on stage or i'm always afraid that i'm going to train wreck on stage so i'm giving that to the person yeah i was kind of thinking do you think part of it also is that in the audience we're also kind of performing in a way like we're performing for the singer or for the comedian it's our job to be wrapped with attention and to look but when they are sort of breaking the contract (laughs) by messing up then it's like we can't fulfill our part of it either does that make any sense? Yeah, no, yeah. I totally get that. Yeah, no, it totally does. And and as a performer, because you go in as a performer, when you take a step out on stage, like you recognize that you have a role, you have a responsibility. Right. And but but part of that role is contingent on the audience bringing theirs. They are either they either need they need to feel something and they need right. to come ready to feel something. And and I that's that it feels like what Chrissy is doing is. <laughs> maybe is fulfilling that contract <laughs> inauthentically yeah in a sort of slightly perverted way not perverted but you know what i mean he's this is the yeah it's the it's the the intention versus the letter of the law like right. he's fulfilling the contract to the letter of the law but not to the intention of it <laughs> right. and everyone's winning yeah i mean he's not making fun of them and, and yet they... nobody is happy about it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, the audience or the performers really seem to be. They were really psyched. It's not like we then said, "No, that wasn't for you." <laughs> I think what you've just done is define failing up, right? Yes, because, it absolutely was <laughs> right because yeah. they got what they wanted out of it. And you know, let's say a promoter is in the audience and they're like slapping their foreheads, like, "Why are people laughing at this?" Right. But I guess they are. I'm going to hire this act. Oh, and God. then you have just failed up. Yeah, they just go to weird improv shows and see what Chrissy is laughing that- at. <laughs> okay, now let's switch it to performing. Have you ever train wrecked on stage, Pete? And you don't have to answer this question if you don't want. I'm sure that I have, but Chrissy was always there. 
Oh, so you couldn't tell? <laughs> so you I don't just know. bring along your own laughter. Uh, yes, exactly. Right. I, as long as I bring my own laughter. No, I, I'm sure that I have. And in fact, I am more, I, I get more anxious as a performer um, when I'm standing up to give like a toast at a wedding. I hate oh, that. I hate it so much because these are largely people that let's just say I know. And, and so I, I carry that stuff around. When I give a bad toast uh, or you know, something like that. Uh, I'm, I take that very personally and I carry it with me for years. Um, so yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I think I'm better bombing, uh, in front of a, an audience, even a bigger audience that I don't know, because I usually can shake it. I usually can kind of improv my way out of it. And, right. and, you know, if, as long as we're laughing at each other and we're collectively laughing at each other, uh, that's, a, that, that's something I feel like I can do. <laughs> Okay. And I feel that's like that's good. something you do too. I wouldn't know because I've never had problems on stage. <laughs> and the example that proves the point. Uh, so <laughs> I have an example <laughs> of me train wrecking. Uh, as I may have mentioned on this show, I'm in a show periodically called Miscast out here in Los Angeles, right. uh, where performers sing songs that they would never be able to be cast at. So uh, males sing female songs, people sing songs of different races, uh, different uh, ability levels, all of this kind of stuff. And there was a summer where we performed at two different elderly assisted living homes. And a friend of the show, a friend of What's That Smell, Mandy, who uh, directs the show, she assigned me to sing the trolley song from Meet Me in St. Louis. Do you know that song? Can you? Why don't you give us a little bit of? of it's the, the one that song. goes clang, clang, clang with the trolley. Ding, no, no, ding, I know. Ding with no, the no, 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 Tom. I know. Yeah. Please perform the trolley song right now. I cannot because I will break into all of the anxiety sweat because this song. Okay, wait. Let me explain real quick what happened. Clearly, I think right off the bat, I want to be clear that I have a pretty terrible history with lyrics. Listeners might remember that I thought, <laughs> what a wonderful world. <laughs> yeah, what a wonderful world had the lyric, the bright, blessed day, and the dogs say goodnight. <laughs> and generally with lyrics, I just practice and I practice and I practice, and then I get on stage and the adrenaline hits and it's all over lyric-wise. And the trolley song, everyone just remembers that one part. Clang, clang, clang goes yeah. the trolley, ding, ding, ding goes the bell. Well, the song goes on for much longer and it's pretty dense with lyrics and they're all interchangeable when describing different parts of like a stupid trolley right yeah 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 so i start the song oh this is a packed house <laughs> like yeah. hundreds of elderly people i can't wait mis- you want me to do okay and my fellow miscasters my, are sitting high in the back collar and my high top shoes and i sing the first verse and then i uh-huh. jump to the first half of the third verse <laughs> immediately and then i realize what i've done and i go back to the first and now it the trolley and me completely break down. <laughs> and I was panicking because I could not, I didn't know where I was. The piano player, I felt like, kept speeding up in ever to accentuate how bad I was doing. But then I started leaning into it. You said that you can sort of like improv your way out of it. Yeah. I looked at the back and I saw my fellow miscasters kind of cringing and laughing in the back. And I decided just to sing for them. And I just started making up lyrics. <laughs> And I remember at one point singing like, bing, bing, bong, goes the hey now. Like I'm just putting words in. And I'm like, chug, 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 go the tires. Tires? So tires on a trolley. At one point, I ended a lyric with, and those are the sounds a train makes. Like none of this is in the song. And I think I'm high kicking at this point. And it just, it became so absurd. It just sort of became fun. 
And I think it was me in real time rewriting this horrific thing into something manageable. Wow. Because I knew that I would just go home and think about this forever. And the best part is, remember I said that we went to two different uh, elderly homes? Yeah. Well, the next week, we did it. The exact same thing happened. <laughs> I repracticed that song for forever, got up on stage, and missed it all. Bing, bing, bong, goes the you sing. Like, I was, like, yelling, you sing at the audience while they're just elderly staring at me. What's so brilliant about all of this is that if anybody is going to, A, know the words and be able to sing along, it's a Judy Garland-loving uh, elder community. They, I could tell that they knew exactly when I started getting off the, oh, yeah. oh, well, off the tracks. Uh, so the, the Charlie song is officially the soundtrack to my nightmares but i turned it the absurdity in the moment and made it less terrifying and so that's sort of how i'm able to grasp that train wrecking can be horrible but it doesn't have to be and now when i see other people train wrecking on stage which luckily doesn't happen too much but when i see it i work on making it not about me i work on overcoming my discomfort and instead really encouraging the performer i force myself to watch I have a big, encouraging smile on my face. I do a woo if it's appropriate, and I'm just trying to give them a lifeline. And that, in turn, as an anxious audience member, gives me a lifeline because it gives me something to do. What do you think about that, Pete? Do you think no, that... No, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm... I'll... Yes, of course. Uh, that It just... It, it feels... Uh, it feels authentic to who you are, right? To be able to um, to accept that things are going wrong, and you know what? Our contract is changing. I've now added an addendum to our right. contract, and that is, we're all in this together. Whatever comes next, we're <laughs> yes. going to find a way to enjoy it. <laughs> exactly. Wherever this nightmare trolley is headed, yeah, I'm on exactly. it with you. <laughs> nightmare trolley. It's you and Judy, and we're all on the nightmare trolley, and whatever the universe unveils <laughs> okay now go ahead take it take, take what hands holding mine to the end no! of the line knock knock uh, who's there? It's this year in Anxiety Peak. Hey! And we have been talking about space a lot this season for some reason. <laughs> and so I thought I'd keep it going. This year in Anxiety, the year is 2003. Astronaut Yang Luei became the first person sent into space by the Chinese space program. And during his 21-hour flight, Mr. Yang orbited Earth several times, and everything went great, and there was nothing weird or scary at all. The end. <laughs> Where oh wait! The flattened eyeballs. Did I forget to mention the knocking that he heard on the door of his spacecraft? Oh, for crying out loud! That's right. He recounted later multiple long series of knocking, comparing the sound to a hammer hitting an iron bucket. He floated over to the porthole and threw up the sash to see what was out there, but he couldn't see anything. And then he'd look away, and the knocking would start again. This happened a bunch, Pete. Scientists have not been able to explain the sounds he heard or replicate them ever since that fateful voyage. So I don't know what it was. It's definitely anxiety producing. My guess is it might be George Clooney. Yeah, it's totally is George it? Clooney. From That's the movie science. Gravity. He's yeah. just still floating around. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Ding dong ditching people in space. Count, uh, count on the Chinese to find Clooney. Right. <laughs> he probably just wanted some Nespresso. Hey, oh. <laughs> 
You know what all, our, our Chinese astronaut friend needed was actually a little bit of distraction from all of this space anxiety, spanxiety. Oh, and he might be able to, yeah, uh, he might have been able to use a service like the fantastic audible.com. You know, Audible is a sponsor of this very show. And uh, as a result of their fantastic sponsorship, you can get a free audiobook download and 30 day free trial at audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Over 200,000 titles to choose from for your black rectangles. Mm-hmm. And for you listeners of What's That Smell, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with free 30-day trial to give you an opportunity to, you know, kick the tires and check the seals. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Knock on the shell. I get it. Do we have a, do we have a book? We do, because I talked about anxiety and performing and bombing and all of those exciting things. Uh, do you know the comedian Jay Moore? M-O-H-R? I know Jay Moore. Yeah, of course absolutely. you do. Whole yeah. fan of Jay Moore. He wrote a book that I really enjoyed uh, listening to. It's called Gasping for Airtime. It's about the years that he spent on Saturday Night Live and having a panic disorder because of it. <laughs> that doesn't sound like fun, but it's a very funny book and it really deals with the idea of performance anxiety and trying to get through it. Uh, I found it very exciting. It's only six hours and 42 minutes, so that's just time for like a real small panic attack. And <laughs> I think you should listen to it on Audible. Here's the thing, Tom. Who remembers? Show of hands. Jay Moore was on Saturday Night Live. Anybody? I do, because I Anybody? wrote a book about it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget, listeners of What's That Smell, you get this free book. You get to keep it forever and ever. You can choose another book if you don't want our choice, but yeah. just download a book. Once your service kicks in for real, you will get a new book every single month that you get to keep forever. I love it. I've been a member for decades now. Nay, decades. Nay. And it is a fantastic service. Audibletrial.com slash scent of a podcast. Thanks for sponsoring What's That Smell? I'm finding a theme emerging in my contributions to the show as we move toward wrapping up this, our fourth season, Tom. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah, it is the theme of gravity. Okay. You didn't yep. see that coming. Hmm? No, because I thought you have been talking about space so much. There's no gravity. There's no gravity. But, you know, of and related to gravity, last time uh, my uh, I had a listener submission. It was basophobia or falling down, the anxiety Sinkholes. falling down. That, that feeling of peril that comes from losing control of yourself and your body and your relationship with gravity and That's tumbling right. to Earth. And yes, sinkholes we've talked about. So here's the thing. What happens when gravity is exerted upon you from some external source, Tom. What happens when the mighty hand of Newton himself pushes upon you uh, using all the creations of man? Oh, everything Mm. turns out great. Tom, I bring you this week... (laughs) Was that a good guess? That was good. Tom, I bring you this week's listener submission, and it is brief. Is it from Newton? All right. It is thus. Things tipping over. As in, on me. Specifically, trucks falling on me on the highway. But any tipping thing is awful. Do to, let me do oh, that again. Yeah. I'm just going to read that again because I want to make sure you got you, you really get all of it. Tip, okay. Things tipping over, as in, on me. Specifically, trucks falling on me on the highway. But any tipping thing is awful. Got it? It reads sort of like a definition. Yeah. It also sort of reads like a riddle. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Interesting. So things tipping over onto you. Okay. Yes. Yes. Specifically trucks. 
And so I want to start with trucks. Okay, got it. Now, I've seen a lot of big truck crashes to hold me over. I don't need to see this. So speaking of schadenfreude or freudenschade, whichever direction you want to go, sure. the experience is it's all... Actually, the, the one that jumps out at me when I, I feel like I was in college when somebody sent me a link of this person who had put a camera up facing a low clearance bridge in their small town and trucks (laughs) kept like ignoring the low clearance it was like a curved bridge and so maybe at the very peak of the clearance their truck could have gone over if their truck was shaped in an arc uh they could have cleared it but because of corners (laughs) they never cleared this bridge and so it was one after another of truckers hitting this bridge at full speed like disconnecting trailers shaving off the top of their trailers just ripping their their cargo off onto the street below um there, there was never anything with anybody getting injured, right? It was it was always just like, you have destroyed that truck and destroyed a lot of product, whatever was in it. And it was just real gallows humor around low clearance signs. That's kind of like watching a trucker bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a good connection? <laughs> Excellent callback, Tom. Thank you. Uh, I would like to send you a link and I would like to, you to watch the first, uh, first few seconds of it. If you could oh. let me know when you are pressing play. I am pressing play... Uh-oh. Now, if you could just describe for me what you are experiencing as you watch this. It looks like it's a dash cam of a police car. Oh, no! <laughs> oh, okay, it's a dash cam of a police car and a semi, a huge semi truck just gets blown over by the wind and falls on top of another police car. Now it's happening in slow motion. Yeah. It just blows over and completely consumes. Okay. Okay. Why is that a thing now? Trucks and wind? Great. It's a thing. Tom, this video that I have sent you is, (laughs) is, it's long. It fell over on another. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It fell over on a police car. Now, I went into a deep hole on this, like looking for what is going on with our, like with the world and, and and trucks in general. Why do we do this to put these trucks on the road? They are terrifying, uh, because they just fall over on things. I did not have an anxiety around trucks falling over. I'm very comfortable driving on the highway. And then I watched this, this first video is 11 minutes and 12 seconds. And it is just clip after clip of people who have captured trucks blowing over on high Highways in high winds. And so Oof. I started, let's just start looking at, at a little bit of, of math. Okay. It is all about sail force. What is sail force, Tom? How do you spell it? <laughs> really? Like that'll make a big difference. Is it S-A-A-I-L or S-A-L-E? S-A-I-L. Oh, okay. And then, then, then I don't know. <laughs> if it was sail force, <laughs> I know that word. <laughs> So, uh, Salesforce is, uh, it, it led me to the, the Michigan auto law resource, and it has this sure. long thing about education for truckers driving in high winds. And their perspective is all on liability. Like, what do you do? Um, uh, because it's, it's, if something happens as a result of an accident with the truck, what do you, what do you have to think about it? But they go into some detail on Salesforce. Any type of surface that can generate thrust by being placed in wind. Right. Okay. Is sail force. That makes some sense. For example, uh, uh, let's look at a boat. And for a boat, there's no better boat than to look at Greta Thunberg's 
boat that she took when crossing. Oh, right. Her zero emissions uh, trip. Exactly. 16-year-old okay. climate activist, Greta Thunberg. She took the Malizia 2, an Imoka 60 monohull sailing yacht across the North Atlantic to her presentation at the UN. Uh, rough back of the envelope math based on the mast height and the length of the boat gives us roughly 2,300 square feet of sail force, right, of, of area of the total mast uh, which against which wind force is wind designed to propel a, a vehicle across okay. the ocean, Tom. Yep. yep. Right. Yes. It is moves across the ocean. That same uh. back of the envelope calculation has to apply to trucks. I kid you not. And thanks to really? Ceresis, Ceresis, we're going to go with Ceresis. Sure. This is a company that manufactures trailers, right? These tractor trailers. They have shipping container specifications on their website. And they also share this concern of Salesforce. Salesforce. See, now you've got me doing it. Of <laughs> Salesforce. And so let's do some calculations just to give a rel- relative equivalency, right, of, of okay. what is going on here. All right. So the longest, the, the range of shipping containers, it, it, they start at about 20 feet and they go all the way up to 53 feet long. And they range mm. from eight and a half to nine and a half feet tall. Okay. That gives us sail force of these of the longest tractor, the 53 foot tractor trailer of 503 and a half square feet. Uh Oh, that is just under a quarter of a boat sail. And these things are designed to be optimized to be kind of uh, not the heaviest things in the world. The taller you get, the uh, uh, less efficient you get. And so they make them fairly lightweight. They want the most of the load needs to be measured by what is in the trailer, right? For for shipping efficiency costs. You don't want to... So it's not as grounded. Sure. Exactly. So it's got a very high center of gravity. And thus, these things are prone to when applied by sail force. I'm not into, you know, this sort of of math, but my understanding is that these things, that's what makes these things dangerous, is that there is just large surface area, ungrounded, disconnected surface area, and that makes these things blow over. So I thought, well, surely, you know, how fascinating if these things, uh, you know, it seems like, thank goodness, they do have one lever that they can control, right? The the drivers of these trucks, they have this lever they can throw, it's called the brake. If the winds pick up, they can just (laughs) stop, just go ahead and stop driving, right? And that's what, but this video, I sent you, Tom. I'd like you to jump to minute uh, right around 7.35. Okay, there's a truck and it's stopped on what looks like maybe a bridge. Oh, it's windy, Pete. It's pretty windy. And now I'm watching an ad. Are you kidding me? Okay, it's blowing, wind's blowing, the truck is stopped, there's cars driving. Uh, it's really blowing, Pete. Okay, the truck is rocking back and forth. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> oh, oh, for a second there, it feels like it's going to make it, but no, it completely tips over. Now it's in the other lane of traffic. Other trucks are laughing at it. Oh, what a it is, disaster. It so is terrifying. You're saying that even stopping yeah, isn't going to work. doesn't work. Tipping over doesn't just lead to, I mean, the anxiety is around things that tip over on you, and that's not just on the highway. No. Um, you know, a, a child is killed about every 10 days from furniture or televisions tipping over. Another child is sent to the emergency room 
uh, about 30 min- every 30 minutes with a tip or related injury. Um, the disturbing findings of the uh, Consumer uh, Product Safety Administration says that a child is killed by a falling piece of furniture in the U.S. every two weeks. In two- uh-huh. 2016, 2,800 incidents of injuries to children were reported, 33% increase from 2015. So Why? I, yeah, well, because we make things that are uh, tall and not, and, and as in particular, Televisions, they really centered around televisions and the increase in injuries that come from televisions in the home because they are they're thinner and mm. they're not as heavy as old televisions, but they're still a very awkward size. So people who put them on higher bookcases, oh, they are we're not treating them like we should. I we're see. not treating them like they're supposed to. So when a kid crawls on a bookcase or you come by and you knock over a bookcase, you bump into it, that TV is not stable <laughs> enough to be able to to withstand uh, even slight force. Got and it. it falls on you, and they're sharp, and they're heavy. And <sighs> when they're falling on you, they feel a lot heavier than when you're actually putting sure. them up on, uh, taking them out of the box. Why so are we those putting are TVs on top of bookcases? Maybe that's part know, of the problem. man. What are you doing with your TV? I don't know. <laughs> what are you doing? Look, look, here's the thing. I don't have a word for this anxiety, for the tipping anxiety. I Ugh. couldn't find anything. There, It all goes back to the, the fear of falling, not sure. being fallen upon. But it is a, a legit thing. And what I have learned here is that you have reason to feel anxious about this. And I do, too. Holy cow. Yeah. There's, the world is a scary place. However... <laughs> The, the podcast just cuts out. The end. We're never seen or heard from again. The nice thing about this is, and I mean this in all sincerity, this is 100% in your control, right? It is all about behavior. Don't ever leave your apartment. Oh, no, even your apartment isn't safe. Get rid of bookcases. So I spent the last uh, several days doing a very long drive from you know, in some crazy weather, right, mm. uh, on through mountain passes. And I wasn't thinking about this stuff at all. But I can tell you now, I am thinking about this stuff, watching how easy it is for these cars and trucks to be blown around. Um, I am am super sensitive n- now about where I'm going to put my car related to other ah, bigger cars. So you're just right? keeping your distance. I can control this. This is something I can take control of. I can slow down. I can stay away from the big trucks. I can especially not take a uh, uh, a sharp turn on the outside lane when a larger vehicle is inside that right. lane. I can choose sure. to, to drive more safely after seeing this kind of stuff. And it's terrifying. You know what else I can do in my home? I can anchor more stuff to the yeah. studs in the walls, y'all. You just have to anchor your bookcases. Uh, and your TVs, put your TVs on an arm, get them off of things that can fall over. Uh, because that's, that's the thing that's gonna, that's the thing's gonna mess you up. Ikea in 2016 voluntarily recalled 29 million dressers. Wow. In in the year 2016, when six kids were killed by pieces falling on top of them in that year alone. Just anchor your stuff to the walls. And you're okay. And you should know that of all people because you live in California. I know. I have to anchor everything. I had to anchor my Christmas. I anchored my dog (laughs) this morning. I just (laughs) taped him to the wall. Is that weird? (laughs) He's asleep. He's fine. (laughs) What does he know? I know what your mama said. I'm going to make Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode. Today's tune is Give It Up by Rob Young. I'm Pete Wright. 
And I'm Tommy Mess III. Thank you so much for downloading. We will be back for our season finale next week on What's That Smell?